emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we are talking about the difference between value pricing 1.0 and what Ed and I have just been calling, as a placeholder, value pricing 2.0. And Ed, before we start, I think we need to change our theme song. Yeah. Well, you sent around this, um, or maybe Hector sent it to us. Somebody sent it, the, the, the guys with the ukuleles. Yeah. Playing, playing, playing the, good, the good, the bad. You know, it's, it's awesome. The good, it, yeah, we'll, have that's, to, we'll have to post it. Th- that's pretty cool. But I'll tell you, the one that came up after that is the Danish National Symphony Orchestra. And they do it. And I think theirs is 100 times better. It's awesome. It is very good. Yeah. Really well done. Very well done. Very very creative to get an ensemble like that to do that piece of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Ed, this show was inspired by an email. In fact, I, I had emailed him and asked him, I said, this, there's no way I can respond to you in this email to all of the points that you raised and do it justice. It's such an important topic. We want to do a whole show. And I asked him if we could use his name. And he gave us permission. So this email I got a few weeks ago from Byron Johnson, who's a CPA up in Canada. I'm going to read the whole thing just so our listeners can put it in context, because this is actually quite deep. And it goes into many issues that we've addressed on various episodes of the show over the years. And so I think this is an excellent summary. And then we'll try and put it, concretize it and make it really stark what some of the differences are between value pricing 1.0 and value pricing 2.0, which is basically the subscription business model. So here's Byron's email in full, and this is a bit long, but I I wanted to read it all so our listeners would have the total context because he's raising many, many good issues here. Uh, He says, hi, Ron, you were kind enough to to share some resources with me two or three years ago after I left a firm and started my own firm. I've read your Implementing Value Pricing book, and I'm a regular listener to TSOE. Yes, the great kite version. (laughs) I love that. I am a fan. Thank you for all of that. I've been wrestling with a thought and wanted to reach out to see if you might have a brief comment. I've heard you refer to subscription pricing as VP 2.0 on several occasions. I've also heard you indicate a shift, at least I think it's a shift, from pricing the customer to pricing the portfolio. I'm just trying to figure out and implement this whole pricing thing better. It just struck me recently that I don't think I would like to be value priced in the true sense of the term. An anecdote to illustrate, my wife and I are currently considering some significant renovations on our home, and we've solicited a couple of quotes to do so. Now, I have no objection to receiving quotes that vary. We may have more confidence in the contractor with a higher quote, than one with a lower quote. It then becomes our task 
to evaluate at what point the higher quote becomes too expensive relative to the value received. No harm, no foul, with differences there. But if I knew the contractor I liked, the higher priced one, increased the price of my quote over the quote he gave my neighbor for doing exactly the same job, hypothetically, just because he perceived I valued it more or I had more resources or whatever, I think I would be royally ticked. Shouldn't the price he is willing to do the exact same thing for two parties be exactly the same? And then it becomes the duty of those parties to determine if they value it or not and subsequently pay that price or not. It just strikes me that the more we deliver a similar service, the more that price should be consistent across customers. Maybe that is what you are getting at when you talk about pricing the portfolio on a subscription basis. Maybe there should be a little more consistency knowing that you're going to win on some and lose on others, but the overall portfolio is good. It is almost like with subscription pricing, there is a general pricing grid that yes, has options, but it is more or less the same options for homogeneous clients. Maybe that is appealing because of its simplicity. My partner and I are just realizing how much mental energy we are exerting pricing new clients instead of simply having a price list that we go to without thinking too much about it. The interviews you've had with Dr. Paul Thomas have resonated with the simplicity that I refer to here. Each individual pays a certain price. No playing favorites. Some will require more attention than others. Because of this, they will lose money on some. It has just struck me with this realization that customers' clients don't want to be value-priced and they would like, likely object to it if they knew they were. I think I've made some mistakes pricing some prospects higher than others for essentially the same work and then not converting those prospects to clients. Anyway, this may be the most, mostly a jumbled ramble. If you care to share any thoughts, I'd be most appreciative. Thanks, Byron Johnson. So, Ed, I read that. And I thought of about 75 subtopics that are here <laughs> besides just the, the pricing thing he's discussing. But I sent it to you. What did you think of it when you read it? Well, including the most important subtopic, and that is we talk about why he's only on the Greg Kite version of the show. I mean, I think that is clearly oh, yeah. Yeah. where we need to start and finish. Really, I mean, there's nothing else we need. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, there, There's... There is a lot to unpack here, as Russ Roberts would say, and I think we should begin unpacking it. I, I think he's very much onto something, and I, but I still think there's a couple of things that, that Byron misses with regard to the subjective theory of value. So I'm sure that that's where we want to we'll take this in, in, in different chunks. Right, right. Because, you know, all of these issues we've discussed, certainly the ethics, and in fact, when I responded to him, I used that term, the ethics and morality of value pricing, and he thought that was interesting. He said, I didn't use the word ethical in my email to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's right. He didn't. Um, but it's, it's an issue that I take very seriously in all of my pricing books, because this is one of the first objections I ran up against. You're telling me that if you're doing the same work for two customers that you can charge them differently. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, absolutely. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> and, and then you go to defend that and you kind of have to go into economics to do that welfare economics. And we'll talk about that, but it's, it's a serious consideration. Um, there's also, there's also something more fundamentally 
uh, I, I believe, uh, wrong with, with the, the premise. I don't accept the premise. I don't accept the premise that we do similar work ever. That's right. That's no right. Two, and that no two customers are alike. Nope. And that, and that, and that's really where I was going to. In fact, he even parenthetically says when he says doing the same job, hypothetically, hypothetically. He, that's that it's, it, that is in, in uh, parenthesis. And that's exactly where you need to go. It by definition, it's not the same job. And I think we talked about that. Well, I know we talked about that on our shows when we talked about project management because it's it's one of the definitions of project management or a project is, uh, a, 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 by definition, is unique. Right. And, it, you know, when I started to wrap my head around this and just a, a certainly yield management or revenue management like the hotels and the airlines, and, and you'd sit there and say, well, how could they possibly charge somebody sitting in, in coach, you know, and they charge them 10 times more for their ticket than the guy sitting right next to them. In fact, we have a video mm-hmm. clip of this. <laughs> the one guy paid 700 and the guy sitting right next to him paid like 120 or something. Uh, how can they do that? Well, first off, yes, it's the same flight. You're going to the same destination. It's not the same product because the guy who bought it at the last minute was thrilled that they held back that capacity to have a seat available for him as opposed to his seatmate who bought it six months ago. And that's why he got such a great deal. It's not the same product. You're not comparing apples and apples there. No. And, and even to take it one step further, he's, as you point out, he's in coach and there are people in first class that paid less than he did. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. So we'll get into that. We'll also talk about the differences because uh, even before value pricing 1.0, there was there were there were movements before then, and of course hourly billing being um, the, the the foundation of of you know the profession at least for the last sixty or so years. And so we'll we'll talk about those issues. And we did a show at on price discrimination. Um, and I, Greg, I didn't note the uh, number of the show, but something like playing with fire, <laughs> utilizing price discrimination, because that's the guy who devised the term price discrimination and the kind of the theory behind it. That's what he said it was like. He said, if you use this, you are playing with fire. It can be perceived as unfair by your customers unless it's, unless it's done you know, um, really well and customers understand the reasons for the difference in prices. And there's ways to do that. Um, that's why I love the fact that Byron brought up the contractor example and renovating his, his uh, house because when I, when I did it, Ed, I never got options from any of the, uh, I was painting outside painting. None of them gave me options, not one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, that is a colossal mistake because then the only thing I can compare them on is price. And that's probably most salient. But then you you start you have to start to look for other clues of quality, you know, mm-hmm. personableness, our ability to communicate, you know, questions. Did they ask good questions? I mean, there's all sorts of other things that go on when they don't give you any other context, um, and and so you have to make a decision where I think price can actually you know guide you into a better decision. Yes, that's very true because and and what's going to happen is is there's going to have to be something significant that overcomes that price barrier. 
And I, and I think that that's where the big mistake falls in. And look, what you and I have, have talked about this an awful lot, but uh, we still get incredible feedback from not only people that we price ourselves, but also folks that we're coaching coaching in this. And they come back and say, we the, our, our customers or prospects were blown away by the fact that there even was a choice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the number one piece of feedback I've seen from the actual customers, CFOs, all different types of organizations, not-for-profit, you know, profit, whatever. Wow. You offer choices. In other words, what they're saying is you're showing me other ways you can help my organization, even if I don't buy them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, I want that. It's like, what customer wouldn't want that? You know, we always joke that if CPAs ran restaurants, they wouldn't pass out menus. They would just bring the customers the food they thought they needed. <laughs> but, you, you know, you go to a restaurant, you have choices. So humans love choice. Not too many, but they want choice. And there's a whole, uh, you know, literature behind this in terms of providing context and offering pathways to upgrade or, or, or deliver future services and customers love this. I've, I've never really, I, I, there's been some feedback, but it's so far few between it's not even worth mentioning that, Oh, this is tacky. Oh, this is like a used car salesman. Oh, you're trying to upsell me. Um, but boy, I think if somebody's that cynical, probably not a customer worth having. Absolutely. And as all, I will always remember the one participant, and I remember who it was, his name is Art Nathan, he is, has passed, but uh, who said to us as he was going through this, when I'm offering choices, what I'm really doing and, and, and creating those choices, what I'm really doing is I'm competing with myself. And that's always stuck, I know, with the, the both of us. But, Ron, we're already at our first break. want to Excellent. remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website, of course, is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back everybody we're talking about the differences between value pricing 1.0 and 2.0 based on an email i received from byron and ed what i want to do now is i want to kind of chunk this out into just short, short paragraphs, and then we can kind of talk back and forth on the points that he brings up because there's just so many different ways, so many different issues in here. But his first line is, I've been wrestling with a thought and wanted to reach out to see if you might have a brief comment. I've heard you refer to subscription pricing as VP20 on several occasions. I've also heard you indicate a shift, at least I think it's a shift, from pricing the customer to pricing the portfolio. I'm just really trying to figure out and implement this whole pricing thing better. So here's how we discuss this when we talk about the subscription pricing model. We talk about hourly billing being kind of the foundational model. And hourly billing, of course, is based on inputs. And then in between hourly billing and true value pricing, the way that we taught it, was this idea of fixed pricing. And this was basically pricing outputs. You, you would have a, deliver, a set of deliverables, you know, tax return, compilation, set of books, whatever, and you would put a fixed price on it. But then VP10 came along and said, no, no, price the customer. And the language we used there was price the customer's transformation. And we had this landscaping story of a landscaper giving you three options of, you know, we can do basic maintenance, we can bring your yard up to neighborhood standards, or if say you're selling your house soon, we can give you the best curbside appeal in the neighborhood. And those are all transformations, right? And that's, that's, we thought that that was really powerful. And of course, this comes from the experience economy, the book by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. We had Joe Pine on the show. I'm sure Greg will find that show and tweet about it. Uh, but then Ed, we got into VP20 Teenzo and a lot of others, and just watching what's going on out in the world. I don't know how you can't peer out your window and see this massive tsunami of a subscription, not just business models, but a subscription economy rolling over you. And this is where you price not the customer, but the relationship. And it sounds like we're splitting, you know, splitting semantical hairs here, but we're not. There's a big difference between pricing a customer and pricing a relationship. And, and then, of course, bringing in kind of the actuarial element saying we're going to price the portfolio. So we're going to have this portfolio where we can spread risk because we know some of our customers are going to utilize more of our capacity at various times than others. But, but who does that is going to change over time. And we don't necessarily care about that, just like an investment banker or a venture capitalist. We care about the returns overall of the entire portfolio. And then lately, I've been thinking about rather than transformations, it's customer success because it's continuous success. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, sequential transformation after transformation 
But if, if I hire the landscaper to give me best curbside appeal, cause I'm selling my, my home, then I sell my home. And if I move to another home, maybe I keep that same, same landscaper, but now I'm back down to basic maintenance or neighborhood standard, right? I wouldn't be back up to best curbside appeal probably. And, and that would be my definition of success at that time. So those are kind of the differences and between VP 1.0 and 2.0. And just one more point, and then I'll let you chime in here because I know I'm dominating this. But according to McKinsey and Company, subscription market has grown 350% over the past seven and a half years, five times faster than the S&P 500. And since the COVID crisis struck, uh, the only businesses that are really out there growing are subscription-based. So what do you think of that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> next topic. Uh, I, I, no, I, I, I think there's, there is some color that I could, I could clearly add to this as well. Uh, I think you're right. The, the thing that I have continued to struggle with is this, co- this concept of pricing the portfolio doesn't necessarily mean that you're normalizing the price across all of the portfolio. And the, the, the way that I've begun to think of it in my mind is if you're selling fire insurance, let's say, and this is the model that I've used forever, the fire, the fire insurance, there's not one price for fire insurance. Mm-hmm. The, 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 they're going to come out and they're going to, they, they want to know how many rooms do you have? What's the square footage of the house? Do you have, do you have uh, fire extinguishers in the kitchen? Are you willing to, to state that you do that? Are you a smoker? I mean, all of these things are going to factor in to the, the, the price. So they still do customize the price of the insurance based on the person who's buying the insurance. So there is, there is some customization. Now they of course use, since it's large numbers, a lot of proxies. Yes. Just, just like the, the folks at the airline do, right? If you're, if you're traveling the two hours before and need to get on that flight, they're going to assume, Hey, that this has a very extraordinarily high value to you. So they are still pricing the portfolio in a sense, but they recognize that there are these outliers. And I, I do think this, the, the factor here is, how, what, what is what is the size of the market that you want to serve? And, and this is where, well, I know we're going to talk about Dr. Paul a little bit later too, because he's mentioned in, in the, uh, the, letter, the email as well. But I, I think we, ha- we have, to, have to recognize that each of the, the, the customers that comes to us is still going to come to us with slightly different needs. And I, and I don't necessarily think that putting out on the website, hey, here's my prices across the board is the best way. Now, Jody, when he, he was on um, and he still his website, he, he, he does this. And I don't know how I feel about this. Curious as to what you think, Ron. He's, he does have his prices on his website, but it's at, he, 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 the packages are starting at. Right. Starting at, got starting at, starting at, he's got a la carte add-ons. I remember him saying like, if, if they've already got a tax accountant and they don't want to change, he's happy to, you know, drop that. If they want to add it later, he'll add it kind of like a la carte. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> you're right, Ed, about the fire insurance and actuarial. And I mean, obviously these things are still underwritten, but actuaries do come up with algorithms to figure this out. So you know, you go through a checklist, do you have fire, you know, fire extinguishers? Do you have smoke alarms? Do you smoke? You check these boxes and, and the prices are kind of already modeled in, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, because of 
my research in concierge medicine and direct primary care medicine, I am more and more coming around to uh, the idea that you can have standard prices across the board. What you have to remember about this model, because it is peace of mind, it's one of John Warlow's models from you know, the automatic customer book, the peace of mind model, that peace of mind is incredibly valuable. So your price is probably going to be three or four times more than your median price is now to account for that portfolio difference, right? The, the, the bell curve shape of that portfolio. And I'm okay with that for, for this reason. And, and I'm curious your feedback on this and, and it's in Byron's email, simplicity. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have to put so much brain power and thought behind every single customer and price them and worry about what are the differences? How many accounts do they have? You know, what, you know, all those different issues. No, we're just going to take care of you just like Dr. Paul does, you know? Yeah. He does price differently based on your age because age is a proxy for your medical care needs, especially pediatricians. It's, it's, it's interesting. The younger you are, that the higher the price because younger kids need more, more visits and care. But I'm, I'm coming around to that precisely because of simplicity, because if we're looking at the portfolio, then what we care about is lifetime value, cost of acquisition, you know, annual recurring revenue, those metrics. And I'm less worried about, you know, missing those outliers, thinking that my three or four or five times price is going to cover those. I think you are approaching it from a, a CPA standpoint, where you're looking at perhaps having hundreds of customers, even a small firm, even one, a one person firm is going to perhaps have a couple of hundred customers. No, and probably I'm, not. well, maybe not. I, I'm actually thinking less customers are the much higher. Well, f- fewer customers <clears throat> at a higher price. Yes. But you're still, still thinking standardization. So yeah, I I'm thinking because of my ba- background in, in software implementation, one off on everything. Mm-hmm that I, I am going to spend a lot more time trying to understand the perceived value of the customer still offering subscription as a choice, but coming to this, this notion that, Hey, I, I might, my, it, it, if I have Ed Kless consulting, right. At some point that, and this is not, I'm not resigning Sage. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> but if, if I have Ed Kless Consulting, I might choose to say, I only want to have five customers at any one time in my portfolio. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I am, I am unlikely, am I going to say, I have, a, I have a standard price for three different choices across the board to those five customers. It's going to be individually crafted each time because I'm going to get to use one of my favorite words. The work that I would do is more bespoke. Yes. And, 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 and that is where value pricing comes from. You, you price the customer because every customer mm-hmm. is different, right? Just like if the airlines could, we know they would, right? Ron, what are you doing on this trip? You know, those types of questions. And, and we have the advantage of doing that at, at a zero marginal cost. But when you're talking about a subscription business model, I think you are looking at it more as a portfolio. You are looking at the embedded promise, the simplicity of the offering. Um, and, I, I'm, I think I'd be okay with standardized pricing. Now, I think this is much easier if you're niched, and we've talked about this quite a bit. If, I, if my firm is doing nothing but dentists, that's going to be an easier thing to do, to put them within a band, give them three options, but put them within a band, because I know the issues that they're going to confront. There's nothing that they can do 
that's going to surprise me, right? Get disabled, uh, sell their practice, admit a partner, you know, whatever. I've seen it a million times if Mm -hmm. I'm niched. If I have people from across the board, different industries doing all sorts of different things, yeah, this gets this gets a lot more complicated for sure. And you might only be able to do it in a part of your practice, right? Like with yeah, I think accounting. I think we're saying the same thing, but I I still think that the, the that the function at least right now, and I could be convinced otherwise. I still think the function is the total number of customers served by the entity. That, that, that that will determine more whether or not you're going to offer a price that you're willing to put on a website and a price that you're going to say, no, every, every time I, wor- I do an engagement, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with a different price. Right. And, and look, I, I, both these business models, VP10 and VP20, and we got, I know we're up against it, are, are viable. I, I think both of them are viable. What I mm-hmm. don't think, Ed, and, and, I really do have come to this conclusion. These models cannot be combined under one business. Mm -hmm. These are totally different strategic operations. You can't, you know, team talks about this in his newsletter all the time that you can't have part of this be subscription and then keep doing things the old way over here. I just don't think that works because I think the mindset here is completely different. Yep. So anyway, we are up against it. And folks, I'd like to remind you, check out the soul of enterprise.com. We'll post full show notes from today's conversation and check us out at patreon.com slash TSOE and become a subscriber. So you don't have to listen to the gray kite version. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it from the boardroom to you voice america business network We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about VP 1.0 and 2.0. And Ed, in the paragraph where Byron talks about his anecdote, you know, his wife and him are currently uh, doing some significant renovations. And he goes out and gets quotes. Yes, um, no doubt about it that, you know, you, 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 you might put more confidence in the higher price quote. Price discrimination, charging different customers different prices is, is like playing with fire. I mean, it has to be perceived as fair. And I think the airlines have done a really good job with us. They've educated the entire world that it's okay for the guy next to you to pay 10% of what you did. I mean, that's, that's a significant change. Hotels have done the same thing. Uh, even cruise ships, even amusement parks. If I pay enough to Disney or Universal, I can get right to the front of the line. You know, this is obviously all pre-COVID. Uh, but price discrimination has also got incredible welfare uh, benefits to economies. Without price discrimination, we wouldn't have senior discounts. We wouldn't have children's prices. Uh, poor countries, developing countries would not get access to certain drugs that are sold in those areas at a cheaper price. Um, this is all made possible because of price discrimination. Same with coupons, by the way. Uh, so I, I, I kind of reject the premise that, uh, first off, that there's similar work. I, I, I just don't think that's possible. Um, but also that just because you're charging a high price, that makes you unreasonable. I mean, if that's the case, then is it unreasonable for buyers to pay low prices? That's right. And Rory Sutherland points this out. I think in one, in one of his TED Talks, he says an airliner is practically socialist. Right. <laughs> in, it, in, in, in its redistribut redistributive nature of what's going on. They charge, they charge with a more wealthy. And in this case, it's often people who are traveling up against a deadline because they're doing it for business of some kind. And that in a way then subsidizes the fact that people are who, who bought early or on web fare are able to be on that flight as well. The, you know, Southwest of course has a, has a different model and, and, and you know, there's, there's this little bit, bit um, more about total, but they'll, they'll give you up upwards of seven prices for a single flight. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is just incredible to me. And um, it, it is interesting to see though, what's going to happen to any and all of these models coming out of COVID. I, I think the airlines are clearly, and, and hotels are going to be the ones that have to make the most adjustments, but back, back to, to, uh, to, to Byron here, I, I think you're right. It, it, there, there are no two jobs that are the same. So his hypothetically in there is an important point. But the other thing that I think is important that he points out in the later paragraph, he says he would be royal, royally ticked, ticked. but yep. what if he was given choices and what if three choices and what if his neighbor was given three choices? That's right. It would, it, it would increase the, 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 the difficulty of comparison that much more. And why would he be ticked if he agreed up front to the price? We, we had this conversation when we talked about uh, this with uh, Reed Holden on the air. And yep. he said, well, we, I'd be pissed off if somebody came in and, and, and charged me $250 for a, a $5 part and a, and a repair of the refrigerator. And I said to him, well, we'll just don't have it repaired. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, you picked uh, basic or whatever and your neighbor picked diamond or vice versa. Then, then those, those price differences are justified because the work is not exactly the same. And I think you can even back it up even before that and say, well, wait a minute. What if, if what if uh, Byron, you wanted your job expedited? 
Mm-hmm. You know, you wanted it done in two weeks because I don't know, you have relatives visiting or something, right? Or what if the contractor didn't have any capacity when you asked him to bid? And the only way he was going to be able to do yours is to charge a high enough price to shift, you know, resources around internally to be able to accommodate your job. Or what if he was completely slack and not busy? You know, all of these things go into that price. And, and that's what makes them unequal. You can't compare one contractor to another. And I think that's why it's so important to give choice because then you're kind of, you give the customer the opportunity to compare you to you, just like our buddy mm-hmm. said, you know, like competing with myself. Um, and, uh, and, and then he goes on to say, it just strikes me the more we deliver a similar service, which of course I think we've completely debunked, the more the price should be consistent. Um, and, and, that's not necessarily why I'm sliding more towards consistent pricing. I'm thinking more just from, you know, a venture capitalist standpoint, I'm looking at the portfolio. I know my prices embed my value, just like Dr. Paul does. And, and I'm, and I'm comfortable with my particular strategic plan and my positioning in the marketplace that I'm, you know, I'm not going to be doing an individual one day and a fortune 500 the next you know, my customers are going to be, I don't want to say homogeneous. That's not what I mean, but I mean, they're, they're in the same, you know, niche and I know what the issues are. And then I'm okay dealing with that portfolio uh, across the entire board rather than worrying mm-hmm. about individual things. But, um, you know, and again, if you're niched, I think this is, this is um, much easier to do, but, but I just, also want to make another point, Ed, because this, this, he also brings this up. Maybe there should be a little more consistency knowing that you're going to win on some and lose on others. Well, this is another problem with accountants. We think we're losing money on some customers. That's simply not true. And to understand this, you have to look to Reginald Thomas's work or Reginald Lee's work, sorry. Um, You know, cost accounting uh, and Mm -hmm. the problems with it. The fact of the matter is at the right price, you're not losing money on anybody. If if I triple my price and bring on a customer, there's no way I'm losing because not if you take into account lifetime value. So I strongly suggest, and, and Greg will put this up, I'm sure, in a tweet, but go look at our shows, number 112, number 200, and number 266, where we interview Dr. Reginald Lee on his two books about the problems with cost accounting and about this whole idea of figuring out a margin or, or what a customer costs, it can't be done. It can't be done. And that's why you can't have that mentality. I'm losing on some, I'm getting, no, you're winning on everybody. Yes. And, and I think the other thing to note here that we've talked about in a couple of other places is this notion of understanding that subscription is not taking your current price and dividing by 12. I, I by the way, I don't think that that's what what Byron was getting at. So no, I don't mean right. to, 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 uh, to put that off on him, but I do think that for those listeners that are listening in, th- that has to be understood that in no way are we t- talking about taking your current price, dividing by 12 or, or adding a little bit. There are so many other things that have to factor in, including going through Warillo's book and trying to figure out what are some of the other things that you can add to your organization that, can fill those gaps and create more value. You know, I, I looked to, to that home services 
example an awful lot and have been looking more and more to that, especially in, in the software implementation space. And I think this is perhaps different from accounting, but maybe not. And that is what, what, what's, what's your, what's your two tier, what's your gateway to getting in the door for your firm. And then if there's a special thing that has to happen, a, a, a project that built the building of the, of the back deck right. that you become the project manager for. And that's the other thing that I think has to be introduced into this concept is that it, it, it's really uh, to, to use a phrase, it's really the uh, why is movie theater popcorn so expensive on steroids conversation. If you create this double, this gated price, get in the door and then to get the premium services, you have to be in the door at some other price. Right. The two part tariff. Um, and, 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 and that is, that is a viable model, but, but here's my thing. Ed, and I'm just going to say this, uh, because I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't want to do one-offs. Don't want to do it. Don't want, I mean, it, I want a, I want to take care of a customer and I want to ensure their success. That is my promise. That's where my value is embedded. And I'm just going to do, just like a concierge doctor, I'm going to do whatever it takes. There is no wall. Now, if you get cancer and I need to refer you to oncologists, obviously, but for 80% of your medical needs, they're there for you. They're going to do whatever. And, and there is there is nothing extra. And I like that level of comfort because that's peace of mind and people will pay a fortune for that because that's insurance. Okay. Well, let me throw this at th th you as we go to a break. You've got 90 seconds to answer, Mr. Smart Guy. <laughs> what, what if I throw out at you something that was brought to me this week and that is someone, a, a real estate broker selling a house? Where, how, do you, how do you go subscription there? Yeah, I think somebody asked me this. Um, <laughs> you, you know, uh, and I don't expect you to have an answer. By the it, way, it's a gotcha it, question. I it, but yeah. because I think it, it's it, it is a huge challenge because the, the, now and I think there are other things though that people think about like this. This is a once every 20, 30 years, maybe even a lifetime. Maybe you're going to buy a house and never sell it, and you're going to die in the house. Then what? Right. <laughs> Right, right. Why would you subscribe to a, a realtor or a funeral parlor? I, I mean, you know, even people that are fanatical subscription economy people don't believe it, it's right for every single business. Um, I did have an answer. You know, you know who answered, asked me that question? I think Jonathan Stark asked me that question. And I gave him a good answer. Now I, I just can't think of it because uh, you did me off guard. Um, but yeah, I, so, but Ed, we're up against it. So let's just take our break. Uh, folks, again, if you want to reach out to me or Ed, like Byron did, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our show sponsor and Ed's employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. 
Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're talking about value pricing 1.0 versus 2.0 and ed we might have to do a second part of the show because we're not quite done with this email but he also talks about the m- amount of mental energy that he and his partner have been exerting, uh, you know, pricing new customers. And there's no doubt about it that pricing is taxing. Uh, this is why the best companies and, and the best practices in pricing is to centralize this because the fact of the matter is not everybody's good at it. This requires work. It requires incredible body of expertise, study, and constant experimentation. You never stop learning as a pricer and not, and since not everybody's good at it, the first thing that should happen is bad pricers should be removed from the process. We always talk about partners shouldn't price their own work. They should price each other's work. If you're a two partner firm like Byron's is, or if you're a solo, have your spouse price your work because the fact of the matter is everybody needs an agent because an agent can get you a better price. Um, So I, I totally appreciate the fact that, value pricing requires much more work, especially upfront when mm-hmm. we just want to do it. Cause all we're thinking about is landing the client, landing the work. We don't want to sit there and put this much mental energy into developing the price. And that's where I think this notion of, of having a price list, if you are having a, I wouldn't necessarily say a sustainable business, but a business where you have a, a larger number of customers. And I, when I say larger, you know, maybe it, that number is more than 12. I, I don't know where, where the, the, the number is. But to have that, that price list out there, I, I think is a good idea at a certain point. But that's where I would also throw in, hey, maybe you do two-part tariff to to keep your high value stuff behind some kind of gate. Right. And, and there is another way to handle that two-part tariff and that, that high value stuff behind the gate. And that is with a tip clause. I mean, of course. Yes. Right. I mean, so we can certainly talk about that, but then he goes on to talk about the interviews you've had with Dr. Paul and we've had him on three times. Dr. Paul Thomas have resonated with the simplicity that I refer to here. Each individual pays a certain price no playing favorites. Some will require more attention than others because of this. They will lose money on some. Again, not true. Dr. Paul's not losing money on any of his patients. Um, 
he's looking at client lifetime value. He's looking at annual recurring revenue and he's looking at cost of acquiring a customer. Those are his metrics. They're completely different. The financial statements for this type of business is completely different, which is why I think there, that's another reason why these two models can't be merged. His, his value is embedded in his purpose, in his branding, in his positioning and in his marketing and the relationships he has. Here's why I think it resonates with Byron, Ed. Let me get your take on this. Because we became CPAs to help people, just like Dr. Paul became a doctor to help people. We didn't do it to do project management, to check off issues and deliverables. You know, we did it to help people while using our creativity, wisdom, judgment, and experience while enjoying the relationships. But the ups and the downs, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and that's lost in all of this. this is why I think the, the concierge doctors and the, and, and doctors like Dr. Paul are having a better quality of life because they're enjoying their patients. They're taking care of their patients. They don't view one. They don't view each one as a profit or loss center. It, it, it's just, it's embedded in the portfolio, the way they analyze it overall and in their value proposition and even in their pricing. Um, and I think at the right price, a firm can do that fairly easily. I agree. I, I agree on that that statement that they could they could come to this this place where simplicity works. And and look, this is the true nature of pricing the portfolio. This is where you are getting full on actuarial and insurance, as we like to call it, with an E that that's the model that you're following here. And yeah, there might be some pluses, minuses, some, I don't know, whatever the equivalent of, of uh, having smoke detectors in a house is from an accounting perspective. I don't know. Right. Uh, right. And yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's using a certain technology like Sage. How about that plug? That's the first time I think I've ever had a segue <laughs> plug in a show. In the show. <laughs> But, but, you know, Ed, you're right. The options can handle some of that, you know, two-part issue that you've been talking about. I mean, with certain options, I, it, you know, one of the things this really does warp your mind on VP10 versus 2. And VP10, you're worried about scope out of scope, right? So we Correct. have out of scope change requests to possibly become a change order. But in the subscription business model 2.0, you're thinking more covered versus uncovered. Now, if, if a concierge doctor has something that's uncovered, you know, maybe his, his top option would include that and you'd have to upgrade. Now, the question is, can you upgrade and then use that service for, for a while maybe and then slide back down to the middle? I, I don't have any problem with that, again, because I'm looking at it as a portfolio. And I'm just there to take care of the customer and provide success. That's, that's my promise to the customers. We're going to do whatever it takes to keep you healthy, keep you financially healthy in the case of a CPA. And I just don't want to get wrapped up in scope, out of scope, oh, deliverable. Or the one objection I got was, well, what, what, you know, what if you have a, a, I don't know, some type of really complex estate plan that, you know, is, is 250000 or whatever. And it's like, I'll tell you what. If you've got a complex estate plan that's 250000 and that's way out of, you know, you've never done that before, you know, maybe the most expensive one you've done is like 10000 and that's why it's such a big outlier, then my question to you is, are you, are you following due care? Do you know what the hell you're doing? 
because that'd be like a doctor saying, oh yeah, I dabble in heart surgery so I can handle this on the weekend. <laughs> no, you, you know, this is what we mean by specialization and niching, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I'm doing a portfolio of 250,000 estate plans and that, you know, or 250 to 400, that's not going to be that radical to me. But if I'm only doing 5,000 estate plan, dollar estate plans, and then somebody comes up with a $250,000 need, my guess is I'm not technically competent to do it. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't do it. Just forget pricing, forget business model. This is a professional issue. That's not due care. I got to know what yeah. the heck I'm doing. Yeah. So I think we can take this one-off thing and we've heard these objections a million times, but I think people go to the extreme with this and, and I just don't want the tail to wag the dog. Most of the things you do are on the rails and with enough cushion in your price, you can get that insurance effect and you can get that actuarial effect across your portfolio and go down the road. And then it does simplify, you know, let's face it. Pricing is difficult. Uh, VP pricing is difficult. It does require a lot more time up front. Uh, most firms are not willing to centralize it because they're a partnership model. It's one of the, well, this blows all that up. It blows it up. Yeah. And the look, I think that the, the big, the, the larger firms are going to have the most challenge with this, just like they did with value pricing 1.0 as well, because there is so much focus on comp models and how do we figure out who has allocated what amount of revenue and you know this this is where we really need to go back to to uh, i forget what her name was janine we didn't have her on it on the show and we kept kept meaning to but she was on who who, who did was she the guest on oh kirk bowman she did a, a an episode oh, of art of value right yeah, yeah who said you know I, i'm taking away your PL. i'm taking it yeah. away you're yeah. not responsible for it yeah and that's what has to happen it does it and and you know what this forces it to happen because the income statement looks different and all the metrics you use are completely different. And that's why I think if you're still generating, you know, 60% of your revenue from one-offs, you don't really have this model yet. You're, you're, you can have part of it, but it's, it's not the same as having the whole thing. Cause this, this knocks down silos. It embeds innovation and new services into um, you know, the customer experience, because now everything is just like Amazon, focused on the customer backwards. I know we're up against it, but Ed, Ed, Dan told me something really interesting, our Verisage colleague. Uh, you can return things that you bought on Amazon to Kohl's. I did not know this, but Kohl's will let you walk in there and hand something, because Dan just did it, that you bought on Amazon. They, they print out something, Amazon, you know, they contact Amazon, Amazon issues you the credit. And, you know, Kohl's, of course, wants foot traffic, especially mm-hmm. now, I would imagine. But that's, <laughs> that's exactly the type of innovation that you get when you think of the customer first and the customer yeah. experience. Yeah. And then one last quick thing before we wrap, I want to, want to get this in, is you were talking about the covered, uncovered scenario. I always add to that, and the default value is covered. Yeah. Yeah. The default value is covered. Good point. Well, Byron, thank you so much for this question. It was fantastic. I hope we gave you some things to chew on, even though uh, Ed and I are still, you can tell we're still, you know, fighting about uh, fighting about this amongst ourselves because we're still. Which is great. Thanks, Byron. You know, (laughs) you broke up the Beatles. Now what? All right. (laughs) So, Ed, what's coming up next week? Uh, next week, Ron, really excited that we're going to be interviewing Marion Tupi of, uh, of various libertarian think tanks about his Julian Simon index. 
Oh, wonderful. I can't wait. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. If you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at veristage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.